149 verse 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And praise. Sing his praise in the congregation of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. You know what the timbrel and the harp is today? A piano and a guitar. The timbrel is a piano. A timbrel is a, 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 felt, a mallet with a piece of felt on it and you strike strings. That's what a piano does. It strikes strings. It's a timbrel. And the harp, it's a stringed instrument, isn't it? And that's what a guitar is. So praise him with the piano. Praise him with the guitar. Verse 4, why? For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. And he will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. And let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, the psalmist praises the Lord for his mercy and for the hope of future triumphs over hostile heathen powers. Steps to getting the victory. What should we do? Verse 2. Rejoice. 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 Joy is there, so you have to rejoy yourself. You have to rejoy it. Amen? How do you get rejoyed? How do you rejoice? Praise him with your mouth. Sing unto the Lord, it says, verse 1. Look at verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in your what? Mouth. In your mouth, not in your head. You can't come to church and when the timbrel and the harp's playing, go... You can't come into church when the timbrel and the harps are playing and say, I think I'll catch up on my devotion readings right now. Can't do that. Because that will not rejoice you, according to the psalmist here. The psalmist says, sing with your mouth. And you say, well, I'm not a good singer. Hey, there's no requisite for being a good singer. 
God gave you the voice that he gave you. And as a matter of fact, I believe this with my whole heart. I believe every single person in this church can sing. You've heard me say it before. God has given us 12 notes on the timbrel, on the piano. Now, most of the time, I probably sing in about three or four of them. Some of you can sing with them. Some of you can't. But that doesn't mean that God has not given you a voice to sing with it. I bet if we spent enough time, we could go through every one of those notes and find your key. Say, God has given me my key. He's given you a key. Now, here's the other thing, though. Why does a choir sound so good? Because they're not all singing the same pitch. There's a science in, in synth, I like synthesizers and stuff like that. There's a technology called unison. And what they do is they take this, the one pitch and they detune it several times, several layers. So in sense, say minus one, minus five, minus seven, minus 12. You've got these different layers that are just slightly detuned. And when you combine all those, man, it sounds heavenly. It sounds big. So you should lift up your voice to create a unison in the church when we all sing. Why, anybody ever listen to praise and worship on the live stream? Sounds terrible. Well, it doesn't sound, I mean, it's okay. But I'll tell you what, it's nothing like being in the house. And all of you that are watching today, you need to be in the house to worship God unless you can't hardly walk. You can't have church through a video camera. That's the facts, Jack. We only do it for the people like those that are in Mexico, those that can't, for some crazy reason, can't get here. We did it for Mike and Debbie when they were in Scotland. But if you're in Hamilton County or Claremont County, you need to be right here in unison. So lift up your voice. Don't say that you cannot sing or the Lord wouldn't have told you to. So how do you rejoice? Sing, lift up your voice. Praise him with your mouth. They are to sing to the Lord. It also says we are to shout. God's not nervous. We don't serve a nervous God. He's not up there biting his fingernails. He loves a shout, amen? Especially when it comes to victory. Just read about Jericho and the walls coming down. Sometimes you just need to shout it out, amen? You gotta shout it off. When that depression's trying to come on you, you just gotta shout it off, praise God. Just gotta say, hallelujah! So what should we do? Rejoice. How do we do it? By singing and shouting. Next, we're to praise him with music and dancing. You know, one of the most liberating things that ever happened to me when I first came to the Lord, I was one of these guys. I was a Bible reader during worship. I hated worship. Can you believe that? I hated it. I hated singing. Because I didn't think I could sing. Didn't think I had anything in me. 
So when I would go to church there in Florence, Kentucky, at Heritage Fellowship, Pastor Cletty's church, I would stand because I didn't want to look like I wasn't participating. But boy, you couldn't, you couldn't rip my fingers off the front row. Couldn't rip them off. Then one day, kind of just started singing and my hands kind of, they kind of got like this to my sides. And then one day I found they were kind of like this. Pretty soon, man, my hands were here, way up here. And then if that wasn't crazy enough for me, my eyes were closed and I was singing so hard and rocking so hard, I'd be singing and all of a sudden, I'd open my eyes up and I'd be some over here like this. Because <laughs> I'd be so lost in his presence, I just would be moving around and wouldn't even know it. And I'd find myself bumping into walls. That's called abandoned praise. And that's how you shake off the spirit of depression. Now, so we have music, we've provided music, we've provided open space for the dance. I plead with you to not be like the children that Jesus talked about. He said, the children played a joyful tune and they would not dance. So they thought, well, maybe we've missed it, maybe it's a time for mourning. So they played a tune that would help people grieve for mourning and they said they would not cry. What was the problem? They weren't doing anything. There are people that just sit there and go, move me if you can. You can't be that way. You have to be tender. You have to, you have to just go with what's being presented and not be hard-hearted about it like Jesus said. It says, where should we do these things that we're talking about? Look at verse one. Praise him in the congregation of the saints. All right. And where else should we do it? Verse five. Let them sing aloud upon their what? Their beds. So the psalmist is talking about sing the praises of the Lord in the public and sing the praises of the Lord in the private. Some people want to sing the Lord praises of the Lord in the private, but they never want to sing in the public. Some people want to sing in the public, but they never want to sing in the private. The Lord is saying, sing in public and private. Praise God. And look at this, verse 1. In the assembly of his faithful people, that should stir your hearts. Why? Have you ever heard that? This is a safe place, brother. Listen, man. Okay, that's cool. It's a safe place. But you know why I'm comfortable singing praises with you guys? Because you're faithful. Why? Because you made it here today. You got through it. You came here to be faithful in the congregation of the Lord. Why should we do it? Verse four. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Why? Because God loves you. I don't know why he loves me, man. 
I don't know how he could love me, but I know he does, praise God. And because he does, that's why we rejoice. Why? Because he loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones whom you belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Because the Lord loves me, that's why I sing and rejoice. Why do I praise the Lord? He loves me. Verse 4 says also, he will beautify the meek with salvation. He will beautify the meek with salvation. When the Lord comes back for us, you will be beautiful to the nations. The nations of the earth will look and call you blessed. We will be standing out above the nations of the earth when we come back with Jesus. He will save his people. Another reason why? Because he punishes our enemies. He executes the vengeance. Vengeance is not mine. Vengeance is God's. We don't have to try to get revenge. If you feel like you need to take revenge on something, you don't have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not vengeful. He punishes the enemies of his people. Go with me over to Zechariah 14. Last week we talked about when we were going to come in out of the clouds with the Lord. In Revelations 19, it talks about the saints clothed in white linen, riding with the Lord to deliver Israel. All right? And Zechariah 14 gives a little bit of insight onto that, exactly a little bit more detail there. Uh, Zechariah 14, verse 1. Let me get there. Say amen if you're there. All right. I'm still working on it. Here we go. All right, Zechariah 14, verse 1. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and the spoil shall be delivered in the midst of thee. The spoils of the earth will be delivered in the midst of you. Because you're right here. This is the event that Revelation 19 talks about. When the church comes down with Jesus from the air. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is the battle of Armageddon. And the city shall be taken. And the house is rifled and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut 
from the city. All right, so that verse there's what we hear a lot of times in Matthew and Luke where it says, one will be at the grinding mill, one will be left, one will be taken. A lot, of, a lot of preachers like to preach that as the rapture. That's not actually the rapture there that he's talking about, although that's what it will look like when the rapture happens. You know, one will be taken, one will be left. That's a true statement about the rapture, but chronologically and in context, that's not what Matthew is talking about there, nor Luke, because Luke is talking about a time of destruction. Now, we know that the rapture is not a time of destruction. Luke actually uses the word destroyed. Matthew uses the word left. If you compare the two, we can see that that's not talking about the rapture. It's talking about this verse right here in Zechariah. These are the last days after the church has already been caught up with the Lord and we're coming back down with him to exercise vengeance on the enemies of God and Israel. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when, we, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand... In that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And you've heard me teach this before. When Jesus comes back with us, when his big toe touches Mount Olives, it's going to split it right in half. And there's going to be such an earthquake that it's going to change the topography of that land. The Dead Sea is going to split open. There's going to be a stream that flows all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And so it's going to be a constant flow. And the Dead Sea is going to become alive again. That's crazy, but that's what's going to happen. Why? Because that's what God did to me. That's what he did to you. He took a dead, salty man and he let the rivers of living water flow through me. That's why the Bible says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Amen? The key to being a happy Christian is letting the water flow out of you. If you just let that water come in and sit, you become salty and dry and arid. Amen? We don't want that. We don't want stagnant water. Amen? I only got to turn my swimming pool pump off for a day, and it's funky. Why? Because we got to have living water, living water, living water. Look at verse 5. And they will flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, they will flee like as they fled from before. The earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Verse 6, and it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord. Not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that in evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that the living water shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea, half of them towards the Dead Sea of the Great Salt and half of them towards the Mediterranean. Look at this. Verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, and there shall be one Lord and his name one, and all the land shall be turned as a plain, Verse 12, and this shall be, well, we'll stop right there for a minute. So the Lord is going to come down and he's going to deliver Israel with you, with me, okay? So the Lord has not called us to be wimpy. 
The Lord right now, God is teaching us how to train ourselves for war, for battle, for warfare. It's not a social club. Because back to Psalm 139, what does it say there in the verse? Verse 6, let them shout aloud as they praise God and with their sharp swords in their hands or with a two-edged sword in their hands. Amen? Amen. How many, we all know, what's the two-edged sword? It's the word of God. Revelation tells us when it described Jesus in chapter 19. Go with me there real quick. Revelation 19, verse 1. Say amen when you're there. Revelation 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, what? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Salvation and power under the Lord our God. That's a good shouting statement right there. You feel you're getting depressed, feel like life's getting on you. Hallelujah. Salvation and power belongs to the Lord our God. Amen. Now look at this in verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You heard me say last week, there's only one group of people that the Bible declares shall be clothed with linen, white and clean. And that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will escape the wrath to come, the Lord will rapture his church, and when it's time to execute judgment on the earth for the enemies of Israel, like I said, when they surround Jerusalem and they think that they've got him, they think that they're finally gonna get that land, all of a sudden, the skies are gonna break open and Jesus Christ is gonna be riding down with his armies clothed in white linen, and we shall execute salvation with Jesus upon the earth. But that is future. Right now, we're like in behind the scenes. Right now, we're in like covert operations recruiting. We're recruiting the armies of heaven right now. That's what our job is in the church not worried about who's in the White House that much because the earth belongs to the Lord. Well, I'm not putting my trust in the arm of flesh and the governments of men. The Lord Jesus Christ is over his church and nothing will stop his church as long as his church remains on the earth because he's given her power and authority. And when you tell something to stop in the name of Jesus, it stops in the name of Jesus. That's what Mark 
Mark says, huh? Say to the mountain, be thou removed. Jesus, that was, he wasn't spiritualizing there. He wasn't paraphrasing. He was actually saying, we have authority to move mountains on earth. Because there are many things that try to get in the way of us getting the mission accomplished here while we remain. And that mission is getting people born again, full of the Holy Ghost, so they will not miss the rapture, so that they will be counted with the saints to ride back with him. Verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and that with it, he will smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. So what comes out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus here? A two-sharp, two-edged sword. What should be in your mouth? A sharp, two-edged sword. What should be in your mouth? The Word of God. The Word of God should be in our mouth. It is a sharp, two-edged sword. When, the, when I wake up in the morning and the devil tries to tell me, huh, you feel like you got a sore throat today. Why don't you go ahead and take the day off? Let the sharp sword come out of my mouth. Say, bless God, hallelujah. Shout to the Lord God Almighty who belongs all power and glory. I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm walking in victory. Confess the word. Let that sword come out of your mouth. Isn't it interesting that he said, don't let it come out of your thigh? He said the sword should be in our mouth. Why is it come out of our mouth? Hey, I'm, no, I'm not perfect at this, guys. I'm not saying I do this every time. I have my good days and my bad days. But let me tell you something. The older I get and the longer I've been in the Lord and in his word, I'm starting to realize when I gave in. I can look back and say, oh, yeah, I can see where I lost footing there. I can see where I gave, gave in a little ground there. And look where I, okay, yeah, now see, if I'd have just gone back here, if I'd have just taken care of that back there, I wouldn't have ended up here. See, if I'd have just gone back here and let the sword be in my mouth instead of the murmuring and the complaining, I wouldn't have ended up over here. But the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And to be honest with you, a lot of reasons why people don't have the sword in their mouth because they don't have the sword in their heart. And that's just the truth. You know the best way you can get the sword in your heart so it'll be in your mouth? And it's funny because the word their mouth actually in Hebrew means the throat, which is where the vocal cords actually are. They're in the throat. See, the word is not to be on my tongue. The Bible says it's sweet on my tongue, but it's only sweet on my tongue once it comes from my throat. Amen? Amen. I like that because the throat's a little closer to the belly. Hallelujah. But that's what it actually means. Let it be in your throat. Let it be in your vocal cords. That also tells me that we should speak. The best way you can get the word of the Lord in your mouth is to get it in your heart. 
And the best way you can get it into your heart is to meditate on it. I don't know whether you've ever been in a scripture memorization program or not, but I highly recommend the navigators. They're awesome. Little Bible memorization cards. Find you a pack of scripture somewhere and start memorizing the word of God. You know, when you're sitting at the traffic light, instead of checking Facebook, pull out a memorization card. Start memorizing the word. When you're sitting there, idle, don't check the baseball scores. Pull out a memorization card. Start meditating on the word of God. Amen. Put the phone away. Hey, guys, we know we got to put the phone away, man. This thing is such a distraction. Gosh. So, we got to have the sword in our mouth. So it talks about, there are two types of people. Those that carry a two-edged sword in their hand. And I want to point out another person. Go with me over to Revelation Um, 17, a couple chapters over. Revelation 17, verse 4. So Psalms 149 says that we have a two-edged sword in our hand. But Revelation tells us in verse 4 of chapter 17 that there was a woman arrayed in purple and scarlet. And she was decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of fornication. What was in her hand? What was in her hand? A golden cup. A golden cup was in her hand. What's supposed to be in our hand? A sword. What was in this woman's hand? A cup. There's a big difference between a cup and a sword. The world wants to carry a cup. The world wants to have celebration, entertainment, and parties, and revelry. But guys, we will have that when Jesus conquers his enemies. We will have a cup in our hand one day at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. We will eat and drink and be merry. But right now is not the season for God's people to have a cup in their hand. Too many people want to celebrate and party and have good times and just let the things of the kingdom, you know, just go by the wayside. But God has called us to have a sword in our hand, not a golden cup. Jeremiah 51, 7 says, Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hands that has made the earth drunk. For the nations have drank of her wine and therefore they are mad. Let me tell you something. Babylon here represents that spirit of the world that we talked about. All right? Babylon is symbolic for the world system. And the world system is trying to get everybody drunk, 
trying to get everybody confused, trying to lead everybody into chaos and madness. You've heard the old story. Why do... It's easy to control when you create a problem. You create a problem so you can be in control. If there's no problem, you have no control. That's the way the spirit of the world works. Hebrews 4.12 But the word of God it is quick. That word quick means it's alive. Look, this, I don't know. I just know it, okay? I can't explain it, just like I can't explain the Trinity. But I don't know what it is about this book. But I can read Shakespeare. I can read Tom Sawyer. I can read uh, Tom Clancy. I can read John Grisham. But nothing is like this book right here. This book is living, man. It actually is living. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive, man. It lives. It lives. And when I read it, I live. It's amazing. Catherine and I, our kids, they tell us the same thing every time they go into prom. All you tell us to do is read the Bible. Every time something's going on, you say, read the Bible. Because, man, this is, this is medicine, man. This Bible works, man. Once you're born again. See, I know my kids are born again. So I know that the word, if they will just read it, it will make them come alive. It will drive them out of their problems because it will connect into them because they have the seed, they have the word of God in them already. So, it's quick, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of sunder of soul, spirit, and joints. So that, I love that because what it says there is the word of God, it cuts between the flesh, it cuts between the soul, and it cuts between the spirit. There are many people that minister out of, in the flesh. Some people minister out of their soul. They are, they're soulishly ministering because they have sympathy. And then there are people that minister in the spirit. How do you tell which is which? The word of God. The word of God cuts through all that. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Who could know it? You think you're nice, but God's already diagnosed the heart of a human. The heart of a human is deceitfully wicked. In other words, it tries to deceive you into thinking that you're not wicked, but you're being deceived because you are wicked. So how do we know who we really are? 
the word of God. It tells us, shows us what, what, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and then it helps us to change. Jeremiah 23, 29 says, is not my word like a fire? Saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Breaks depression. The word of God breaks loneliness. The word of God breaks disappointment. The word of God breaks jealousy. It breaks comparison. One of the worst things social media has ever done to people is they're always thinking, social media makes you think, I don't have a life, man. All these people are having fun and I'm doing nothing. Well, the word of God will take care of that. It'll break that thing in pieces. So, the church is called to war while the world is called to party. Luke 17 says, as it was in the days of Noah. Luke 17, verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and what? Destroyed them all. All right? So I don't want to be caught like Belteshazzar in Daniel chapter 5 when they were having a great party. And he bragged and he said, go yonder and get the vessels that belong to Israel's God and bring them here. And they brought the vessels, the sacred vessels that belonged to the temple of the Most High God. And they filled them with their wine and their booze. And they drank and they toasted and said, let us give tribute to the gods of gold and of silver and of wood and of stone. You have people today, let us give tribute to the economy and commerce and all the different precious metals and all the different resources and people trust. They put their trust in things that perish. Meanwhile, 147 years earlier, God in Isaiah chapter 45 called out a Gentile named Cyrus. Isaiah 45 talks about a man. This is one of my favorite parts of the Bible because this is what really hooked me when I was kind of skeptical about the word of God. Isaiah 45 talks about a general named Cyrus. And he actually tells us in Isaiah 45 gives him the blueprint of how to attack a city. And the Bible says that he will go under the city through the waters. 
I'm, but I don't want to misquote that. This is powerful. Go with me there for the sake of time. Let's just reverence the word of God here for a minute. Isaiah 45 And um, first we'll go to verse 45 once. Amen if you're there. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two levied gates, and the gates shall not be shut. All right? So, look at verse 27 of the previous chapter. I will say to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up the rivers. That saith Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure. Even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and your temple foundation shall be laid. So the Lord, in verse chapter 45 and 44, has called a man named Cyrus and said he's going to walk through the levied gates to take a city. Well, if, and it actually says there that he will loose the loins of kings in chapter 45, right? He'll loose the loins of kings. Now go with me over to Daniel chapter 5. Remember, this is 174 years earlier. Now we're going through time. 174 years into the future to Daniel chapter 5. And look what this says. Say amen when you're there. All right. So, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to the thousands of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. All right. In verse 3, and they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of iron, of wood and of stone. Look, verse 5, the same hour came forth the finger of a man's hand. And he wrote over against the candlestick, which was upon the plaster wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote it. And the king's countenance was changed. And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were what? Loosed. Just like Isaiah 45. Now, I love the King James because it really knows how to uh, say it in a way that's kind of not crude. But to be honest with you, basically, he pooped his pants. Or he peed his pants, one. He soiled something. Okay? So he was so scared that he lost his bowels. And his knees smote one against another. 
And the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers. Well, that's the first mistake. So then he goes on and somebody with some wisdom says, I know a man that helped your great-grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. His name is Daniel. He's full of the wisdom of God. Maybe you better call him. Verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be to yourself and give those rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, majesty, glory, and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his mind was hardened in pride, he was deposed from the kingly throne and they took the glory from him. He was driven from the sons of men and his heart was like that of a beast. Verse 22, and you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart. Though thou knewest all these things, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and you and your lords and their wives and their concubines, they have drunk wine in them, and you have praised the gods of silver, gold, and of brass, wood, and stone. And now the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, you have not glorified. So verse 25, this is the writing. Many, many, tekel you farsen. This is the interpretation. Many means God has numbered your kingdom and he has finished it. There may be people in this room. You may have a hard heart towards God. You may have your confidence in the things of this world, gold, silver, precious stones. Your heart has been lifted up in pride. I say, turn to the Lord. Don't let another day go by where your heart is hardened towards God and especially towards God's people. You don't want your days to be numbered. You don't want your kingdom to be lifted Tekel, you are weighted in the balances and are found wanting. If you were to be weighed on your good works, you would not have enough to balance the scale. You have to put your sole trust in the work of the cross because the work of the cross is what balances the scale. The work of the cross is where the balances will be justified. You must trust the cross for your redemption. Or you'll be found wanting. That's what's going to happen on the great white throne judgment. People are going to be found wanting. They're going to come to God with all their things. I tell you right now, if Bill Gates doesn't repent and get saved, if these guys, these great movers and shakers that created all these 
worldly empires, I don't care what they've done, if they don't repent before the Lord Almighty God and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing they bring to the white throne will weigh up the balances. They will be found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to Medes and the Persians. That's who Cyrus was king over. And then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with the scarlet, put a chain of gold about his neck. Look at this, verse 30. And in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. All right? So Darius... It was the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus was over Persians. Darius was over the Medes. And so at that very night, while they were partying and thinking everything was okay, they actually dammed up the river Euphrates upstream. Cyrus and his engineering crew thwarted the river. And remember, you could not penetrate Babylon's walls. They said those walls were so big you could ride a four horse chariot across the top of the walls. That's how thick they were. And it was, you could not penetrate this city. But what they did is, is they dammed up the river and they marched underneath the city on the riverbed and came into the city underneath. The plan that was given to Cyrus 174 years earlier. I'm telling you by the spirit of God that is within you, God wants to give you plans. God wants not just flowery words that make you feel good. I'm talking about concrete. Hey, when he said he was going to dam up the rivers in Isaiah 44, that was a concrete plan, amen? That was actual physical details of what he wants to do. And the Lord wants to do that in you today. He wants to do that in your life. He wants to give you details. got to have a sword in our hand it's time to put away the cup start to fight so we do that what we do psalms 149 gave us the answers of what we do amen and um, god will strengthen his church praise god we will be victorious as it's been said in here praise god we will not lose we cannot lose he won't lose he's coming Jesus is coming again.